and welcome back to Break the Cycle. Today we're very excited to welcome the lovely Eric Porter onto the podcast. Eric is one of our advisors here at Ophelos. Would you like to introduce yourself, Eric? Yeah, thanks, Abby. Lovely. Mm. Okay, I don't get called that very often, so I'm going to try, <laughs> try and live up to that today. Um, yeah, so I'm Eric Porter. Um, as Abby said, I'm an advisor with Ophelos and I do a number of other things, um, advising a number of fintechs and other organizations around compliance, regulation, risk and control. Um, I'm also a financial coach, really big into financial well-being and helping people be better with their money, feeling control of their money, which is really important given the cost of living pressures that we're going through now. And when I'm not busy doing all of that, I'm also a member of the FCA's Financial Services Consumer Panel. Mm. And this is the big topic of the moment, the FCA's new consumer duty. Could you tell us a bit about what that is? Yeah, new consumer duty. So how many hours have I spent talking about the new consumer <laughs> duty recently? But so it's, it's actually great to talk in this forum because I think this is where it really matters in the kind of implementation and what are firms actually going to do. We've got this big document that says do mm -hmm. all of these things. What does that really mean to firms and what does that mean to the customers of those firms? So mm -hmm. um, people will be familiar with TCF, we're treating customers fairly, and then what used to be called principles six and seven, or still are called principles six and seven, um, and the kind of uplifting, upgrading, whatever you want to call it, the changing of that into principle 12, which is a, a consumer duty. Yeah. And that's really taking things a major step forward in terms of the responsibilities that firms have to avoid harming customers, avoid foreseeable harm, if we use the words of the, of the FCA. Um, and it's really about bringing the ethical and good treatment of customers to the center of the organization, embedding that into the culture, embedding it into process, moving it away from just being something that, you know, maybe we measure once a month and have a committee meeting and everybody says, oh yeah, mm -hmm. that looks really good. But really thinking about who are the people that we're working with in terms of customers, mm -hmm. what are their needs, and how do we ensure that we deliver positive outcomes for those people? Mm. What would you say would be the main differences between the two? The main differences, um, you know, TCF was, was okay, but it really focused on a lot of process, and it focused on, um, it became a bit of a metric reporting activity. Um, as opposed to really shaping how businesses were set up, the governance of businesses. It was also a compliance activity. It's, it's often with these types of things that um, a rule or some guidance comes in from a regulator, in this case the FCA, but can be any regulator really, and it gets handed to the compliance person and that compliance person is told, well, just go off and, and make it happen. And that's the last time that the senior management ever think about it until maybe they're sitting in a, in a meeting or something and have to look at a dashboard. Mm. This is a real shift from that to really make sure that the boards of organizations, the senior managers of organizations are embedded in that process, that they've really spent mm. time thinking about the products that they offer, the price that they charge for those products, uh, the support that they offer to consumers as they transact and use those products, the consumer's understanding of those products, and I think that's a really, really important one because we know that financial services is complicated. Mm. It doesn't matter who you are, it's complicated. Even people who consider themselves to be really well-educated, really financially savvy in a lot of aspects, you know, you may know everything there is to know about a pension, 
but you might find yourself in debt one day mm -hmm. and knowing about how to navigate the world of debt, completely different world, probably a world if you've never been in it that you'll know nothing about and you start getting letters and calls and texts and all these different things. And so it's really impossible for, for anyone to be savvy across all types of financial services. So I think that understanding element is, is super important. Mm. And then it's about making sure that when people do contact organizations or, or engage with organizations in whatever way, in whatever channel, that they get the right level of service, that they get the right level of support, whether that's signposting to people who can help them in, in certain situations or whatever that may be, um, and really just continuing that conversation so that it's not just the conversation that happens when the compliance team says, oh, it's time to, to do this dashboard or this attestation, yeah. but it's actually part of the everyday conversation and embedded mm. in the culture and the DNA of the organization. Yeah, it's a big cultural shift within organizations. It's a very big so. cultural shift. And I think the first thing that said cultural shift when we look at what's been coming out from, from the FCA is that need to appoint a board champion. So the 31st of October has just passed us, um, and that was the first deadline day for organizations to come up with an implementation plan. And part of that plan is to begin thinking about who your board champion will be. For could some you just explain who could be a board champion? Yeah, so it needs to be a board member, okay. right? Um, and that's rare for organizations because most organizations will say, oh, you know, our head of compliance is the champion or we have a chief customer officer who, who's the champion or this other person might be a champion. It's rare to have kind of explicit language that says someone at the board level needs to be in charge of overseeing this. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the FCA drawing a line in the sand and saying, we expect you, board members, one of you, whoever it is, um, to A, be the champion, but also B, have some oversight, challenge, question, make sure that your CEO and the senior managers in your organization are actually doing what they're supposed to be doing. out to me is that a lot of the language is relatively subjective. Um, I'm just looking at now, there's this one for example. Principle 12 focuses on customer outcomes and requires firms to proactively act to deliver good outcomes for customers generally and put customers' interests at the heart of their activities. I mean, it's all good, but it is prone to being read in quite a few different ways. So I guess my question is, how are firms going to go about putting subjective language into concrete numbers? Yeah, so I think sub subjective language is, um, you're absolutely right, and, and that is by design, because if you think about the types of firms that are regulated, the, the FCA regulates something like 59,000 firms in the UK, and that ranges from one- and two-person businesses who maybe are credit brokers all the way through to you know massive banks and insurance companies that we all know you know from the high street or from tv so they have to leave the language to be somewhat open to interpretation or subjective because how i measure that in a firm of two people that only does credit broking versus how i make sure that customers receive positive outcomes in a firm of you know 
100,000 people, like a high street bank that has 110 different products, mm. very, very different. And then you look at a firm like Ophelos, um, you know, that is involved in, in one very specific activity, which is debt collection. But again, collecting from different types of customers, right? Whether that's energy customers or credit card customers, personal loan customers, all you know, and, and then not just those types of customers, but also from the lenders or creditors that they have. Um, you know, a, a credit card customer of a subprime credit card where, you know, that person might be more vulnerable in terms of financial resilience, financial capability, paying, you know, very high interest rates for whatever reason is different to a customer who has, you know, a, a very prime credit card product. Mm -hmm. um, and so it has to be subjective. And it's really about, again, going back to the senior management and the board, them defining for their organization what's appropriate. Mm -hmm. What's appropriate in terms of governance. So do you need different governance forums, committees, whatever it is, or do you just need to change or enhance the way that you practice governance today? Mm -hmm. um, how do you measure it? What are the metrics? Sitting down and articulating what are the actual outcomes that you're trying to achieve. And actually, I think we talk about outcomes a lot and we have talked a lot about it in the last few years. It's actually a really hard job to sit mm -hmm. down and define what are the outcomes I want to achieve for customers. Um, we're used to talking about objectives. We're used to talking about different goals, like I want to achieve, you know, um, I'll take an easy one. In my call center, I want to have an abandoned rate of less than 5%. Mm -hmm. Easy for all of us to get our heads around, easy for us to measure, everybody gets it, fine. If I write an outcome that sounds something like, I want all of my customers to have access to high quality money guidance. That's hard to measure, right? Yeah. And you probably need a number of different metrics to measure that, to tell yourself, yes, we're achieving it or no, we're not, and we're delivering those outcomes. And you probably can't just do all of that with stuff that you pull out of the machine in terms of production metrics, you have to do more in terms of asking customers, whether that's mm -hmm. through surveys, through customer satisfaction, through interviews, a lot more um, qualitative analysis than what we've historically seen. And I think that is gonna be one of the biggest things that organizations grapple with mm -hmm. is that mindset shift from just measuring the production, whatever the production is, the processing of the widgets, to actually what's happening as a result of the processing of the widgets. Yeah, which will presumably drive much better outcomes for customers. Because One would hope. One would hope that it either drives better outcomes or identifies where good outcomes are not being delivered so mm -hmm. that that activity can either be changed or in some cases stopped. And I think the, the tone that you read in some of the regulation is very clear. The FCA probably believes that there are some products or services out there that when compared to the responsibilities in the new consumer duty, um, probably would need to be withdrawn. Mm -hmm. And then there's a whole bunch of, of process around making sure that, you know, that those are then withdrawn from the market in a safe way. You know, if we think about to what happened to, to payday lending a few years back, you know, there were lots of rules in the payday lending space 
which we probably all agree is really good in terms of helping and protecting customers and, and driving good outcomes. Yeah. But if we didn't do that in a controlled and um, in a helpful manner, the, the need for those individuals to get credit didn't disappear. Right. So, but where where did they end up? And had that not been handled well, you could have seen people going to more legal money lending, which did happen in some cases. But mm. um, sometimes the unintended consequence of regulation is as bad as you know the harm mm. that the regulation was trying to fix in the first place. So it, it it's a really tricky balance. Mm. It's all happening quite quickly, though, isn't it? Because yeah, it's next July. It's got to be done by. Do you think that'll have knock-on effects on? It's very quick, and I think this is, when you think about industry, firms of all types have said, we need more time. Um, they're basically being given about 12 months to get things together and get this implemented. Mm. Um, for closed books, I think it's 24 months. Um, is it happening quickly? Officially, yes, but... I think it's also important to remember that the consultation process has been going on for quite some time, for a couple mm -hmm. of years. Mm -hmm. um, the finalized guidance came out, I can't remember now, if it was middle of last year or kind of end of last year, but, but it, it, it's been out floating around out there for a while. I think people now, it's when they get that date that says you must be compliant by you know, the end of July, that kind of sets people into motion. Some large organizations clearly mm -hmm. were were working through this long before because they saw the writing on the wall. They knew it would eventually come. Mm -hmm. um, but others are absolutely scurrying around trying to figure out, well, what does this mean for us? Mm -hmm. And it's particularly challenging for small and medium-sized organizations who are very busy, who are used to delivering at pace, you know, especially in the fintech world and some of those organizations like Ofellows, mm -hmm. um, who don't have hundreds of people sitting in risk, compliance, whatever other types of teams, just waiting to, to work on the next piece of regulation. And at the same time, we're trying to grow the business and service customers and, and do all of the things that they're doing. So it is particularly challenging. Mm -hmm. And actually, I think one of the other challenges, and I see this in my work, is there are actually a limited number of people out there who can help organizations, right? We always think that there's tons of compliance consultants and things just floating around in the market. Mm -hmm. We're all busy because of, <laughs> of this and, and all of the other stuff that's going on. Yeah. So even getting time from, from all of those organizations or individuals is, is quite tough. Mm -hmm. Similar to the problems that Ophelos already faces and things like trying to attract collectors at the moment. Really, really difficult, right? It doesn't matter who you are. There's a labor shortage and there's a skilled labor shortage. And that's affecting this as well as, you know, day-to-day -day business. This has been part one of our conversation on the new consumer duty. Join us next week for part two, where we'll be looking at what it means for younger businesses like Fellows. Thanks for listening.